You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Lord, we recognize today in all seriousness um, Life can be so much fun, and it can also be so overwhelmingly hard. And I know in this room, I've got the whole, the, the whole gamut is here. Jesus, we weep with those who weep. We laugh with those who laugh. We high-five and celebrate when we're at the mountaintops, and we can sit beside each other and um, wipe one another's tears when we need to. And Jesus, I pray your overwhelming, beautiful presence would be here as we open your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're on a summer-long series we're calling Road Trip. And I had no idea that the skit guys, who in a Christendom, in, in, in the church world, are pretty famous comedians, they would have a flat pastor. So thank you, Scott and Veronica. And as we've done every Sunday that I've preached, I've pulled off of Facebook some of my favorite Fat, flat pastor journeys, and I just want to start, this is uh, my wife and me on vacation, Angela and I took not just Pastor Joel, but we took pe- flat pastor Jose as well with us to Boston, we got some great Lavazza coffee, that's an Italian coffee, it's one of our favorite coffees and one of Mike's cannolis, here I am meeting one of my favorite baseball players from the 80s, this is Daryl Strawberry, whose baseball career was wrecked by cocaine and has now been set free following Jesus. And I don't know his relationship with CR, but he was with the Kemps at our national uh, CR summit. And here's our own Les Alderson on the stage, thousands of people watching what's happening. What did Les sneak up on the platform right there, but flat pastor. Can we give Les a round of applause? That's pretty cool. Braiding hams at the Ark Encounter. Thank you there. That's awesome, John. And we've got our, our rock climbing, spanunkling, uh, you know, repelling hero, Mark Tiratelli there. He's always climbing on something, so there he is. Group of ladies at the Beth Moore Conference. I was the only guy in the auditorium <laughs> that day, so that's fantastic. And then I thought they were at the Michigan Dunes, but I was wrong. They're at Lake Superior, but it's the Tocos. And here I am, all washed up. Ashley Dobson found me. Someone had thrown me overboard, and I washed up on Gilligan's Island. So that's good. Can we give them all a round of applause? So continue having fun. When the staff said, hey, we want to do this crazy idea, it was Pastor Katie's idea. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. And oh, man, have we had fun with it, and it's been really good. Hey, we started this summer's series in Acts chapter 13, but really the series started a couple of years ago. We called it Origins. We wanted to know what's the origins of the church? What's this thing we call First Assembly, the church? What's it supposed to be? And if we go back to the origins of the church at its very foundation, we can read and discover and rediscover the original blueprint, the beauty of the kingdom of God, of the body of Christ that we call the church. So a couple of years ago, we started the beginning of Acts, how Jesus promised that as he was departing, he would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came and empowered 
God's people to engage and miracles happened. Thousands were added as followers of Jesus and the church grew. That was the first six chapters. And so the pattern goes through Acts in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost as the church was to spread. And Jesus in that next segment of Acts used pain and persecution and the church spread out. How many have experienced pain that actually was used by God to change you. Some, not every painful thing is God's perfect will for your life, but even when you're experiencing um, pain, God's will has victory over it and through it. And God's purpose uh, was fulfilled through that, and the church spread throughout the area. And it's Philip and Peter went beyond the Jewish community to the Samaritans. And now this year... We're in this last third of the book of Acts, how the church spread throughout the Roman Empire. And we began in chapter 13 as this very diverse church sent out Paul and Barnabas, and they went to Barnabas' home island of Cyprus. And you remember the story. This is back in June. So I think we've got a slide that summarizes this. Yeah, in Cyprus, there was a guy named Sergius that was hungry to know God, hungry to follow Jesus, but there was a big barrier there, a guy named Bar-Jesus. I have found over and over as God wants to do something in our lives, in your life, there's often a barrier. You've got to go over, through, or under, or around. And this barrier was a guy who was self-entitled, son of the Savior, son of Jesus, son of the Messiah. And Peter, I mean, Paul confronts him, you're not the son of Jesus, right? You're a son of the devil. And the guy goes deaf and mute. Thank you, Enrico. Go ahead and pass those out. Ushers are coming to pass out a little card. We're going to use them a little bit later in the service. It's our lost list. We did this in April, and we'll we'll refer to this in a little bit. So thank you, men and ladies. So that was the first one. Then they moved from Cyprus. They went to a community called Lystra. There was no synagogue there, and um, God used them. A crippled was healed, and they thought Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes, and we remember that as they were going to offer sacrifices. And Paul's like, no, 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 we're just men like you. Don't follow after worthless things. And we talked about how often the worthless things in our life detract us from what God wants to do. Then we, it's gone a week, and then we pick this back up in early July. And now Paul has a different sidekick named Silas, and they're arrested in Philippi. And you remember the story, they're in prison. They're praying and praising and and singing uh, to the Lord and an earthquake comes and they're set free but they don't run away and the Philippian jailer comes to faith and the church is birthed in Europe. A fantastic church. Imagine a church where the founding members of the church are a formerly demonized slave girl, a very wealthy business woman who owned a textile manufacturing firm. So you have a slave girl, a business CEO woman, you have a Roman prison guard, and then you have the prisoners that were there. And what an eclectic, diverse church that would have been, where the prison guard is sharing communion with the former prisoner that he used to beat, and now they're brothers. Where you have a slave girl who was at the bottom rung of society, and a woman at the top of society sharing a potluck meal together. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's the church. Today, we're going to continue this story, and now we're jumping into Acts chapter 17. 
do you think when God looks at us, when God looks at the world, do you think his heart is troubled? Today, Paul is alone. In this story, he's left his friends. He was traveling with Silas, with Luke, and with Timothy. He's had some trouble. He's been kicked out of a city called Thessalonica, where we've, Paul would later, later write the two books to the Thessalonians. That's the church that was in Thessalonica. Paul escapes there with his life being threatened. He goes to a town called Berea. The people from Thessalonica track him down. He escapes from there and he goes alone. And now by himself, he's in a new city that he's never been to. At least we have no record of him being there. A city called Athens. What would you do if you were alone in a city? If it's just you... Maybe one friend, you and your spouse, maybe you're there alone and you're in a brand new city. What would you do? How many would be, let me, let me just give you the three options. Like when Angel and I went to Boston, there were three things we did every day. We did one site because I love the history. I want to go spend some time discovering the history. My wife loves the little boutiques and the little shops in the neighborhoods. So I get my sites And then I have to go with her to do the shopping. And then the other third that we both love is the food. Finding the little quaint Italian restaurants. Finding the little hole-in-the-wall coffee shops and the little pastry shops. So that's basically our day. A site, some shopping, and lots of food. So which of the three are you? How many of the shoppers? Like if you were in a city... All alone, you would go find the shopping. Raise your hand proud. You don't need to be ashamed. There, there's our shoppers. Okay, how many are the historical site people? I want to learn the history of this place. Good. How many food people are in the house? There we go. I doubt if Paul was much different than us. He's in Athens. Athens at this point is about 500 years removed from its glory days. When Plato and Socrates and Homer was writing the, the, the epic story of Odysseus, it's about 500 years following that. The city was much smaller, about 5,000 people perhaps. But you know Paul is just like us. He's going, he's going through the community. He's going to the villages. He's living in the neighborhoods. He's in the marketplaces. He's finding the church or the synagogue. And he's getting to know the city. Getting to know the people as he's there alone. That's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17. Here's what we read. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled. Say those two words. He was deeply troubled. If you have a physical Bible, maybe you want to underline those two words. If you have your version app open and you're logged in, you can highlight it. Paul was deeply troubled by what he saw. Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was deeply troubled. He was bothered by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. One of the ancient writers said of Athens that when you go to Athens, it's easier to find a God than it is to find a person. Idols everywhere, shrines to gods everywhere. In America, that's hard for us to grasp. 
wrap our minds around. I imagine, I've never been there, I've never seen it, but I would imagine maybe at the four key pilgrimage sites in India for the Hindus, that in those cities of high Hindu worship, there would be shrines to gods everywhere. Then on every corner, in every storefront, there'd be a candle lit. There'd be flowers placed as people worshipped scores, dozens, thousands of gods. And everywhere you looked was worship to idols. If you've got that image in your mind, that's what Paul was facing as he walked through the pinnacle city of Greek mythology. And he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw. Had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago with Jason Harshberger. Jason is our Chi Alpha missionary that's crisscrossing the country, raising money to come here to launch Chi Alpha at Illinois State University and then to Wesleyan in Heartland. And we were talking together about the power of prayer walking. In fact, some of you need, some of you need to write this down. I just confirmed it on Thursday. Jason, as he's crisscrossing the Midwest, will be in town on Wednesday, August 1st. So Wednesday Wednesday night, August 1st, we will partner with him to do our first prayer walk around the ISU campus. So you can drop your children off for children's ministry here. You can bring your students to Unite Youth Ministry and then meet us at the Alamo Bookstore, park in that parking lot, walk onto the quad. We'll meet at the gazebo for a time of instruction and teaching, and then we'll spread out around the campus to pray. So many of you have been praying for the birth of Chi Alpha or the rebirth of it for decades. Meet us there. So Wednesday night the first. So I was talking with Jason about why they prayer walk, and what happens. And he said something interesting. He said, it is during prayer walks on the campus that you discover the idol of the campus. Because every campus has an idol. There is something on this campus, in this culture, in this community of students that's the real idol. He said at Indiana State University, where he's been directing Chi Alpha for seven years, he said the idol was fatherhood. He goes, our students predominantly came from broken homes and they longed for a father and they would replace fatherhood with alcohol, drugs, sex, relationships, anything they could find to fill that need for a father. That's their idol. And he says, we had to break that idol to show them who their true father really was. And if they could discover the real father, the idols would fall. Does that make sense? Can I tell you, there's idols in our world. They're not shrines set up. You don't walk through the hallways of State Farm and see little glowing candles to idol, idolatry and gods, but there's idols in our lives. An idol is simply any substitute for the real God. And we have lots of idols, don't we? We probably don't have them set up on our mantle, but you probably carry one of your idols in your back pocket or in your purse. It's called a screen. I think if an alien visited us and tried to figure out what Americans worship, it would be about this big and this little glass screen and people touch it. Because that's our focus, that's our attention, that holds our worship. 
So Paul is walking through Athens, and he is deeply troubled. Say that again. He's deeply troubled. He looks around, look at all of this idolatry. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. There was a synagogue there, a Jewish community with God-fearing Gentiles there as well. And he reasoned with them. He brought out the Old Testament scriptures and tried to show them that Jesus was the Messiah. And he spoke daily in the public square, in the marketplace, in the place where business transactions were happening, in the coffee shops, in the restaurants, at the mall. Paul talked about Jesus there. Verse 18. When Paul told them about Jesus, and significantly that Jesus died and rose from the dead, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas he's picked up somewhere? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some kind of foreign god. So they took him to the high council of the city. He had started enough conversation. They said, hey, we need you to stand in front of the city elders, in front of the philosophers, the leading thinkers. We need you to come with the department chairs of ISU and share your story and your beliefs, your philosophy. They took him to the high council in the city. Come, tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some strange things, and we want to know all about it. So Paul suddenly has gone from person-to-person conversation to now he has a platform and is in front of the most influential people of Athens. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very... Stop. What's Paul going to say? Men of Athens, people of this city, I notice that you are very, and there's a lot of ways to finish that sentence. I notice that you are very idolatrous. I notice that you are very sexually perverse, because they certainly were. All of Greek culture in that time was. Men of Athens, I notice that you still enslave people and treat other humans as less than yourself. How was Paul going to finish that sentence? Men of Athens, people of Athens, I'm deeply bothered. I'm troubled by what I see. And I notice that you are, what's he going to say? Let's finish the sentence. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. It's a good translation. That word there, religious, is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's the sense that you are superstitious. Maybe that would be the negative side. You're very superstitious. You believe in supernatural things. Maybe a complimentary word. I see you're very religious. You are trying to live your life in deference to or out of respect of divine beings. So Paul begins in men of Athens... I see that you are very religious in every way. Interesting. Paul, who was deeply troubled, begins his introduction and his talk with, I notice that you're really striving to live a life that's religious before the supernatural beings. It's not really a full compliment, but nor is it a criticism. It's just a statement. 
For as I was walking around, verse 23, for as I was walking around and I saw all of these shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Someone had crafted, established a shrine to a God they didn't know, couldn't name, but wanted to make sure that this God they couldn't name, if it existed, that would be worshipped too. Paul says, I've noticed you're even worshiping a God you don't know. This God, whom you worship, but you don't know him, is the one I'm going to tell you about. He is the God. And then Paul begins to share the gospel. This God that you worship, but don't know. This God you want to please, but don't understand. This God you want to serve and worship, out of your drive to be religious, let me tell you about him. This God, he's the God who made the world. He's the one who has made everything, everyone, everywhere, and everything stems from him. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and this had to be a stark contrast to how the Greeks thought. Their cities were built around temples, The more temples you had, the more predominant your city was. He said, no, 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 no. This God is so big. He created all the heavens and the earth. He can't be shrunk to live in something that's man-made. Human hands, verse 25, human hands can't serve his needs. You can't bring anything to God because he needs it. Can't bring him food. Can't bring him money. He doesn't need it. He has no needs. In fact, he himself is the one who gives you life and breath. Gives it to everything. He satisfies every need. It's not that God needs you. You need God. For one, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. That's mind-boggling to them. In their culture, certain nation groups ruled the others. They took pride in their own identities and thought themselves superior or inferior. And they ranked people based upon their power, prestige, and status. Paul says, no, no, no. This God created everybody. We all stem from one gene pool. We're all brothers. We're all sisters. We're all the same. Every person. And then God has a purpose in it. And nations rise and fall as God has set his plan in place. From the Egyptians to the Babylonians and the Assyrians to the Persians to the Greeks, now to the Romans, doesn't matter about the power structures of this world. God's always been directing it, and God is over everyone, and we're all related. We're all brothers. Paul continues, That God had a purpose in humanity. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and maybe find God, though he is not that far off. So Paul says the purpose in all of this that God has created so that people will seek him and may be able to find their way. It's the same word, you remember the epic story of Odysseus, right, as he is with his men, as Homer writes the story of Odysseus and he's facing the Cyclops and they stab the Cyclops in the eye and the Cyclops can't find them. And Homer uses the word that the Cyclops was groping around, feeling his way, looking for Odysseus and the men. 
Same word that Paul uses. God's purpose is that men, although we've been blinded and we can't see it, that we will be hungry to seek after God and we will grope around finding, desperate to find the one creator, the one true God, the one who is righteous and pure and holy that is above all else. And that we will find him. And God isn't too far away. Verse 28, for in God we actually find our own lives. In him we live and we move. It's in God that we find our existence. As some of your own poets have even said, we are God's offspring. And since we're God's offspring, we shouldn't think God is like this stone idol that a craftsman has made. That God isn't found in a temple. He's so much more than that. He's not gold, silver, or stone. And then Paul begins to make it personal. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now God is expecting something of all people, that everyone, everywhere, repent of their sins and turn to him. He says, you may not know very much about God. You might just be religious and trying your best to please all the gods, and you haven't figured this out, but you can figure out this one thing, that you can repent. That the bottom line is simply this. Will you repent? Will you turn from the way you have lived and said, God, I want to seek after you? Even those in sheer ignorance of who God is know that they need to repent. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent from their sins and turn to him because, verse 31, he set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others says, we'd like to hear some more about this later. Brief pause in the story. No matter who you are today, no matter what your background, where you've been, or where you think your life is headed, This simple truth is for each and every one of us. Paul just laid it out. There's a God. There's a God above all things who created everything and everyone. You, me, no matter our skin color, our our paycheck, our background, whether your parents are happily married or you were born because your mom had a one-night fling when she was drunk, doesn't matter. Your gene pool, my gene pool, we're the same. All of us are created to be objects of love by our creator God. You are called and designed to be a son or a daughter of your creator, just like me. And although you may not know very much, you say, Pastor Joel, I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I don't understand the Bible. I don't own the Bible. I don't know anything. You know enough. To repent. That's simply this. I know that if I'm honest, that I haven't lived righteously. Because everybody knows that. Only those who lie to themselves don't know that. And it's that repentance that paves the way to seeking and groping, and you will find God. And you start. And just like as Paul shared that simple story, there is a God, 
We're all the same before him. He has a plan and purpose for your life. And he has sent his Messiah to show us the way to God. And now he's called everyone to repent. Just like in Athens a couple thousand years ago, people respond the same way. Some say, no, thank you. This is ridiculous. I want nothing to do with it. Others say, I think I need to know more. And as Paul finishes his sermon, here's how it concludes. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him. Some became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council. One of the leaders of that council said, what you're saying, Paul, I want to know more about. And he eventually became a follower of Jesus. There was a lady who also came to faith, Damaris, and others were with them. And a new church was birthed in Athens. You have the same decision to make today. This is ridiculous. I need to, do, need to know more. Or, yeah, I want to know God. It really comes down to those three choices. Yes, I want to know my creator. I'm not sure yet, but I'm hungry for more. Or I reject it and I say no. Every single person here will fall into one of those three categories. And if you're in this category that I need to know more, man, I encourage you, take that you belong here card and say you're interested in growth track and begin learning and discovering. Think about it. Pray about it. Pursue and seek after God and see what happens in your life. Maybe you're in this category and you're ready. He says, I've thought about it long enough. I know the way I've been living isn't taking me in the direction of life. And you're ready to seek after God. Can we bow our heads just for one second? If you're here today and this is a transition moment for your life, that you're going to stop living for yourself and begin pursuing your creator, your God, the one who's loved you, sent his son to die for you, that you could be restored in relationship with God. If that's you today, I just want you to slip up a hand real quickly, real quickly. Five more seconds. Three more seconds. Thank you. Let's pray this together. Dear God, thank you for calling me to yourself. I choose today to stop seeking after my own will, but to seek to know you. Reveal yourself to me. Thank you for sending your son to die that I could find you. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to meet you at Connecting Point and get you plugged into Growth Track. Here's my final couple questions today. As Paul was there in Athens alone, waiting for his team to join him, he was deeply troubled. Say those two words. Do you allow yourself to be deeply troubled by this world? Because most of us, many of us, often don't. Do you allow the realities of this world to bother you? 
It was a few weeks ago, about a month ago, I shared this with the Caleb's group, and I, I posted just a brief story on Facebook. When Wendy Carlton, our Royal Family Kids Camp director, last sat in my office as we were just making some questions, or answering some questions, making some plans, she took the time to share with me two stories of kids whose social workers have signed all the paperwork to get them to come to our camp. And as she shared these two stories, for the first time in a long time, I cried. Because it hurts me. It bothers me that kids have been subject to such pain and abuse. And I want to do something about it. It bothers me. And that doesn't happen often enough. Does it trouble you with what's happening in the world? Both the victim, does it hurt you when people are victimized? But also the perpetrator, does it trouble you that someone has acted out with such anger and rage and agony and pain? The world should bother us. We should be troubled. As Paul walked around the city of Athens, it was brewing in him. This just isn't right. These people are lost. They're, they're looking for you, God, and they're doing it all wrong. They're all going to go to hell if you don't help me speak to them somehow. It troubled him. Does it trouble you? Does it trouble you when your coworker is struggling with depression and you see him or you see her drinking it away and destroying their life? Does it bother you? Or does the idol of distraction keep you ambivalent to the brokenness of this world? Is it a lot easier to just watch the Knicks-Cubs game than to take some time to think about the suffering around you and those that are hurting? Those that are in your life, they should, should trouble you. Or is it easier just to scroll up Facebook all day? The idol of distraction is the bane of the church. It prevents us from being troubled by the realities around us. God has placed you in a community, in a neighborhood, in a job site that matters. And there are people hurting. There are people that are hurting other people. And there are people that have been hurt and are in despair. And they need the love of Christ. And you won't give it to them and you won't speak it to them unless you're troubled. And boy, the American church doesn't like to be troubled. I don't like to be troubled. When I've gone through a day of work and I get home, the last thing I want to hear is, you need to talk to your son. <laughs> I don't want to talk. I don't want any trouble. I want peace. I want tranquility. I want easy. I don't want to cry. I don't want to feel these emotions. I don't want to be upset. I just want it smooth. Just smooth. I don't want to get in any messes. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to carry any burdens. I just want it easy. But Paul allowed himself to be troubled. So that's my first question. Will you allow yourself once again to be troubled? I think of our Celebrate Recovery leaders that every week hear stories of addiction and brokenness, the pains of divorce, the hang-ups and habits that trap people. And thank God they're not ambivalent. Well, that's your problem. I'm going on with my happy life. No. Getting knee deep, sometimes neck deep into the troubles of this world. 
When I think of what's going on up on North Main Street at the juvenile, justice, at the juvenile detention facility, and they need people there sharing the love of God with our students. I mean, if God's calling you to be troubled, allow it to happen. Whether it's the coworker one cubicle down, it's the neighbor two houses down, will you let yourself be troubled? And then the next question, will you notice what God is doing in their life? Here's what I've discovered, and here's what you see in Paul. Paul was deeply troubled. The language is strong. Paul was upset. This idolatry is not right. Yet Paul didn't allow what troubled him to become anger. Paul didn't stand in front of the men of Athens and say, You people of Athens, you are so confused, so ignorant. You are so foolish. You're all going to hell. How could you be so blind? No, he said, I've noticed something about you. And then he states their place. And he says, I see you are religious. You're striving to worship what you believe is God. So it begins with being troubled. But some Christians who get troubled allow that to direct them toward hostility or anger. How dare those people? How dare they? How could they be? And they create this superior attitude and they get angry or speak down at people. That's not how God views us. Thank God for that. Because I'll tell you, I've troubled God before. And I'm so glad he doesn't look down and see this 46-year-old Cubs fan and say, oh, Joel, you trouble me. I am so hostile and angry. The Bible says, Romans 5.8, that while we were yet enemies of God, God sent his son to die for us. So Paul takes that same approach. He's not hostile or angry at what troubles him in our world. He doesn't become vengeful, nor does he become, you know, like to escape and to hide and protect himself. I'm just going to let all those people do their thing. I'm going to do my thing, and we'll just call it a truce. He engages, and he engages with the good news. So will you allow yourself to be troubled? And then on the other hand, will you allow yourself to notice what God is doing in someone's life? Even those people who are so far from Jesus, the Holy Spirit's at work in their heart. There's things going on in their story that are calling them to God. And in the midst of chaos and brokenness and pain and sometimes outright anger and rage and rebellion, if you listen, if you watch, if you pray, you'll see, oh, I see God at work. This is what God wants to do in their life. And if you notice God at work in even those that are the furthest from him, suddenly you can become a partner with the Holy Spirit and say, I am deeply troubled by what I see in you, but I notice God is at work doing something and I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to be an instrument. I'm going to be a partner with the Holy Spirit's work. So you've got to be deeply troubled, but you've got to notice what God is doing. And then the last thing that Paul does so masterfully is he just shares the good news. He speaks the gospel. He speaks the good news. That no matter who you are or where you've been, top of the world, bottom of the valley, 
the dominant ethnicity or the, the, the minority ethnicity, at the top of the income or the bottom, it doesn't matter. God created you and has a purpose for your life, and that purpose is for you to know him. It's really that simple. In a world that has gone awry, in a world that should deeply trouble us, on our lost list today, as we name some people, as we name some groups, on that list of names, there'll be people who are experiencing things that trouble us, some things that break our heart, some things that hurt us. Allow yourself to be troubled. Take out that lost list for a moment. And in our last three minutes, we passed these out last in April. I want to renew them today. Are there a handful of people in your life, just like God sent Paul to Athens, has God sent you into people's lives? And if you are honest, there's some things happening in them that trouble you concern you, sadden you, burden you? And will you begin to notice what God is doing in their life? Take a few seconds, write down a couple of names. For some of you, it'll be family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Some of you will write down names that are very, very close to you. Some of you, it's going to be an acquaintance you've just made the person who cuts your hair, the person who fixes your car. So I had that interesting conversation with them. I'm going to continue to pray. Take a moment to write those out. God's desire is simply this, that everyone everywhere be restored to him. Everyone, everywhere be restored to him. And you and I have a part to play in that. Will we allow ourselves to be deeply troubled? Will we notice what God is doing in the world and in the people around us? And then will we be bold enough to speak the good news? God's at work in your life. I know you feel like you're at the bottom, but here's what I see God wants to do through you and in you and I want to pray with you that conversation can happen and it needs to happen Bloomington Normal needs Jesus Bloomington Normal needs Jesus and that happens as Jesus followers bring Jesus to them Pastor Kenny would you come can we pray together take your lost list Maybe you want your lost list in one hand and that Cubs invitation, Cubs cards invitation in the other. Maybe that's a tool that God wants you to use this week as an invite. Lord, I pray for me personally and for us corporately that you would open our heart to be troubled. Help us to lay aside the idols in our life, the distractions, the devices, the entertainment, all the things that we use to just kind of medicate the reality and allow us to be troubled and then channel that concern, that hurt, that burden 
toward the good news of Jesus. Help us to notice what you're doing in people's lives and affirm it and speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1AGBN to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.